Hello, it's Kirsty here. So far this series, we've brought you two episodes with rock star economist Steve Keen. Last week, uh, we had the brilliant Eva Kovovsky on. And this week, uh, my best friend James Meadway is back for episode four of our series. But a quick message before we get underway. The Weekly Economics Podcast has been a bit of a wild experiment produced by volunteers who passionately believe that the ideas that shape society and politics should be accessible to everyone. And it's been dead good fun for us so far. And if you think we have been successful, have found out something important, or you've just enjoyed listening to me conclude that neoliberalism is to blame for smooth peanut butter, please can you help us come back for another series? It's really easy. Just go to neweconomics.org forward slash podcast to give £5 or whatever you can afford. If just 500 of you listening did this, you can get me and lots of exciting special guests back in the new year. That's neweconomics.org forward slash podcast. Right, now on with the show. Um, so less about my armpits and more about economics. Ready to go? Yep. <laughs> Hello, my name is Kirsty Styles, and welcome to the new Economics Foundation's weekly economics podcast. This week, James Meadway is back and he's taking on China. That carpet doesn't just come out for anyone. President Xi arrived at number 10 with the promise of billions of business for Britain. Ladies and gentlemen, friends. Shakespeare wrote, what's past is prologue. This is one of the worst national humiliations we've seen since we went cap in hand to the IMF. The more we trade together, the more that we can work together to confront the problems that face our world today. Fears that China's economic approach is about to run out of fuel has spooked markets. Well, the stock markets are going to move around as stock markets do. Some will be anxious that our future energy security and safety may be in China's hands. And of course it opens the door to majority Chinese ownership of a subsequent nuclear project. We may be new friends, but equals not even close. So hello, James. It's been a while, you big, lovely ball of economics. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. How are you? I'm excellent. Thank you. Whoa, God, turn the question round. That was a bit... I wasn't expecting that. Just being polite. (laughs) (laughs) So it turns out that you've actually been off on your jollies or really a big economics tour of Eastern Europe. Uh, That's probably something off the back of your number 29 rating in City AM's top economists, though you're down from number 24 and Yoda from Star Wars is above you at number 15. Disappointed, are you? Uh, no, no, I'm sorry, the grammar threw me there. No, it's Yoda. I mean, you can't compete in the end. Not that I've ever actually seen Star Wars, which is possibly some kind of weird cultural black hole in my entire frame of reference. Me but either. I understand Yoda to be quite an important figure. So, no, I'm happy behind him. <laughs> I don't know the reason important figure in economics, although I haven't seen it either. Sci-fi, sci-fi oh, really? sucks, okay. no, in my opinion. Well, you can't... I mean, if you're me, you wear glasses and you do economics, you can't also be into sci-fi. That's kind of a nerd trilogy <laughs> that you're ticking off there. You just have to avoid it. But you are wearing your Yoda cape. My- <laughs> 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 Which listeners can't see. <laughs> so... <laughs> On with the show. Um, so one of the big stories of last week was the visit of Chinese President Xi Jinping to the UK with the full red carpet uh, rolled out from David Cameron and the old bird uh, and talk of a golden decade uh, of relations between the two countries. George Osborne was also over in China uh, the other week too. 
Is there some kind of economics going on behind all of this diplomacy, uh, or as I like to call it, willy-waving? Well, sort of. I mean, there is a a desperate need, really, or an increasingly desperate need for for Britain to invest in infrastructure. It has a really very low rate of investment in kind of big, you know, bits of major um, public infrastructure, in particular power stations and reports from the national grid over this summer that we might be having uh, blackouts and uh, electricity shortages due to the lack, basically, of electricity being supplied. There's a large number of power plants that are now having to be taken offline. They're being decommissioned over the next few years. So there's this need to get money in to, to try and replace some of that stuff and, and even improve on it. So that's one part of it. The other bit is is just this sort of sense of an opportunity, I suppose. There's two parts to the government's thinking, you'd think, in this one. One is that China, you know, it, frankly, it's big uh, and it's growing as an economy and it's going to be a big market in the future. British firms really don't export very much to China at the minute. Uh, it's about 4.8% of all exports from Britain go to China. Uh, that's about the same as Belgium, so it's, it's kind of tight relative to the potential. And the final bit is, of course, Britain still wants to retain its foothold as like a major international financial centre. So there's quite a big effort to promote Britain as a place you can invest into. It's safe. Come to the city of London, do your money dealing there. China has announced it's going to be offering uh, renminbi loans for uh, buying and selling in the city of London. So there's this desire to promote Britain as a financial centre as well, I think, in the middle of this. Okay, so what are the details of the deals that George Osborne's been signing in China? Well, it's, it's a bit it's a bit confused. There's, there's been a number of, of different figures doing the rounds. It started off as going to be £25 billion worth of deals. That's now crept up to £40 billion. Uh, the Financial Times last week had a, a bit of a splash about how some of these numbers don't really quite add up in the way that the government appears to have been floating them. That There's a bit of double counting, some of its past announcements. The really big one here is the investment into Hinkley Point C, which is a new nuclear power plant down in Somerset uh, that the Chinese state-owned company has said that it can invest about £6 billion pounds into and that will be a contribution alongside EDF the French state-owned company or majority state-owned company to build a new nuclear power plant for Britain uh, total cost about 18 billion pounds OK, but China's long been uh, seen as an economic powerhouse. Does, do you think it makes sense to try to get uh, Britain some of those proceeds of the Chinese boom? Well, it's kind of yes and no. The, the difficulty here is that in order to get this investment from China into Britain, the government has had to make really exceptional offers about the kind of returns that you'd want to get from, in particular, Hinkley Point C, the, the power plant there. They've guaranteed a price for the electricity being sold by that power plant of about £90 per megawatt hour. So to give you an idea, that's about double uh, the current wholesale price of electricity. So it's going to be incredibly expensive to get this money from China and from France into the nuclear power plant. So there's not really much kind of economic logic there, particularly if the government itself could just borrow very, very cheaply to make this happen. The government can borrow very cheaply to do that because interest rates are so low. So it's really quite peculiar to go all the way to China, make this huge expensive offer, get the money from China and not borrow yourself. That doesn't make much sense. The wider bit, of course, is is some concern about uh, how China is doing as an economy itself. Of course, people have seen over the summer a stock market crash, lots of talk about Chinese growth slowing down, lots of concerns about what this means for the rest of the world economy, raised by all sorts of people. The IMF, uh, the Bank of England's chief economist, all sorts of people now raising this as a concern. Okay, so yeah, you've mentioned the uh, Chinese stock market crash, which seemed to um, have a flashpoint and has quietened down a bit now. Did they have an economic crash? Well, it's an interesting one. What you've had with China is, is sort of 30 years of, of the biggest 
boom in human history. This is an economy that's, that's transformed itself over that period of time, going from uh, you know quite a small, relative to everywhere else, uh, less developed country to uh, the world's second biggest economy in the space of 30 years, 10% average growth for, for decades. Uh, this is very, very dramatic. And what's happened is you've kind of reached the end of the line of that particular model of growth, that China's invested massively. You know, you're talking 40%, even 50% of everything it produces being spent on investment. You're building new factories, roads, uh, offices, houses, absolutely everything. You've invested so much that what you're trying to sell from all of these investments isn't finding markets anymore. And that's partly why there's been a collapse in the, the price of steel. In fact, it's a major reason behind the collapse in the price of steel, because China's just producing so much steel, you can't sell it, so it's getting dumped. So it's producing already this dislocation in the rest of the world market. What you saw happening over the summer was the way in which the Chinese government tried to get out of the crash of 2008 was to massively uh, expand its own spending, big f- fiscal stimulus package, but also allow lots and lots of borrowing to take place. And some of that borrowing has made its way into property, and some of it's made its way into shares. And this has turned into bubble, and the bubble burst. And that's really started to frighten people elsewhere in the world. Okay, and are the Chinese doing what they need to do now to solve that problem? Well, it's, it's a difficult one because what they, they've, they've identified, and the, the Communist Party has been quite clear about this, and identified what it needs to do is swing China, this entire massive economy, from one that's focused on low wages and high investment to one that has higher wages and is looking to develop its own domestic markets. They have to try and make this transition. That's actually not a very uh, easy thing to do. It's, it's a very, very difficult thing to do, we found in the past. There's something that economists talk about which is the middle income trap, the difficulties the economies find in turning themselves from kind of low wage, high investment, lots of exports into an economy more like the one, well, the one we live in in the UK where people are paid more and there's a bigger domestic market. So it's not an easy thing to do. It looks like over the summer that their interventions in the stock market were basically mishandled and that's kind of panicked people as well. And it's panicked people uh, trading shares and things in the rest of the world, of course. So it's not clear they'll be able to do it. Nonetheless, you know, it does have a large amount of resources resources at its disposal. Uh, it has the ability to borrow. It has the ability to draw on its very, very large foreign exchange reserves. There's all sorts of reasons to think that China might be able to make this transition, but it's going to be difficult over the next few years. Okay, okay. And, and what kind of, does that transition mean in, term, in the world economy? What does that mean for the world? Well, this is where we get back to why is George Osborne and David Cameron and, and everyone else uh, rolling out the red carpet for China? If you think that this huge economy is going to try, an already huge economy, is going to try and develop its domestic market, you think that's a big opportunity to sell stuff to them, basically. You know, there's little like dollar or possibly yen signs that appear in their eyes and they think, right, big market to sell stuff. And that, if it happens, and if it happens successfully, you can start to see the commercial reason why you're rolling out the red carpet for, for China at this point in time. You can start to see the thinking behind this and that's what they really want to happen. But to make that happen, we, or at least this government has decided that we have to make it very clear that we're not going to put any obstacles on Chinese firms looking to invest here. So that means that tends to involve you in all sorts of bigger diplomatic considerations, of course. Okay, so back to the golden decade then. What's in this for China? Are good economic relations with the UK going to sort out their economy? Well, to be honest with you, I mean, it's like the UK is not that relevant to, to China. We're not a particularly uh, major, um, reasonably big market, but we're not a particularly large exporter into China. The bit that really starts to matter is that uh, British banks are huge uh, investors in China. They've loaned an incredible amount of money out there. That They have the biggest single exposure to Chinese debt out of any uh, Western uh, country, and that is a potential 
potential source of risk, of course, if the, you know, the debt crisis starts to play itself out. That's something that affects us. But in terms of how China's going to go from here, the UK is just one country amongst many. So that's not really the, the important part of this relationship. This is a commercial operation as far as the Chinese are concerned. We've made a very, very generous offer to build this power plant. It's a very generous price that we're going to pay for the electricity. On a purely commercial basis, you'd take that offer up. I'm going to throw a curveball question at you here and ask. So UK banks give money to China and Mm -hmm. then China gives money to us? Yes. Question mark. Well, it's, it's, it's all about who's financing and who holds the risk in, in this particular relationship. That If you have banks based in the UK, so you're talking a couple of very large institutions here, if they're happy to lend to China, they'll lend to China on the basis that they want that money back at some point. China, on the other hand, is happy to lend here on the basis that the government has given them kind of guarantees uh, about how much money they're going to get out of their investments. So this is all about managing the risks involved. The really difficult bit here is why is the government going at huge expense to China to get funding for new power plants when it could very easily borrow the money itself. And that's the peculiarity in all this. Why is it not borrowing itself? Why are we going all around houses, all the way to Beijing, to try and get the money rather than looking to to do so ourselves? Okay, cool. Well, unfortunately, we've not been able to go to Beijing uh, in all of this, but um, we'll see if George Osborne thinks we're important enough to go on the next trade mission. Thank you very much, James. Pleasure as always. Number 29, but we're hoping for better. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, as always, for listening. And remember, please help us come back for another series at neweconomics.org forward slash podcast. We'll be back at the same time next week. The weekly economic... No, I can't. I can't wait. The weekly economics podcast is brought to you by the New Economics Foundation, the independent think tank and charity campaigning for a fairer, sustainable economy. Find out more at neweconomics.org. Boom. Blah, patatas! <laughs> <laughs>